BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 393. That is right. There have been 393 episodes of this solo podcast where I tell you what's going on in my life, in my head, sometimes in the world, if it relates to my life in my head. I am Jen Kirkman. I am your host. I am a comedian. You may know my Netflix specials. I'm Nadia and I feel fine and just keep living. But this is not a comedy special. I mean, sure, sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it's serious, but it's always honest and real, which is usually a dog whistle for racist and homophobic and transphobic and sexist. That is not what I mean by sometimes real. I just mean it's me talking unrehearsed about things that I felt like talking about that week. That's what I mean by real. I don't mean keeping it real or uh, I, you say how it is. No, don't say that. That means racism. Anyway, thank you for listening. If this is the first time you have tuned in and you want to go back, if you fall in love with it and you just want to listen to every episode you missed, you can for free. JenKirkman.com. That is my website. No big deal. I have a website. It's a joke it's not a big deal. Uh, go to podcast and click podcast. And there, once there, you will find the link that will take you through to the archives that go all the way back to 2013 when I started this thing. And it used to be called I Seem Fun. Now it is no fun. The Jen Kirkman podcast. If you want to join the Patreon, and why wouldn't you? This is how I pay my bills. The video version is every week as well. I'm talking right now to the camera. The people that have Patreon can see me for $5 a month. You get four, you know, four episodes a month, once a week. However, whatever, you know what I'm saying. However many Wednesdays there are that week, you get that many video versions. And the video version before you say, I don't care, is always longer than the audio version. So I have just done a half hour already. The video people have already enjoyed a half an hour of this podcast. I was talking about Lenny Bruce and, and kind of 
demystifying him, explaining why I think he was funny, why he was funny, and why a lot of modern-day comedians are not understanding, and why I think comedy is being analyzed way too much by the press, by the mainstream. Comedy is so mainstream now, it's all people want to talk about. Comedians shouldn't be in on the conversation about what they're contributing to culture. It's weird. A lot of comedians may disagree with me because they like to talk about themselves. You go, Jen, you're talking about yourself. Yeah, but it's a podcast. I'm also trying to entertain you. I'm not, oh, whatever, I don't have to justify this to you. But please join the Patreon and you get bonus episodes as well when you join audio episodes. And that's where you'll hear me weighing in on celebrity scandals and pop culture and gossip and stuff like that. Because that this podcast doesn't really go there all the time. But on the paid Patreon, I do. And I also drop, you know, uh, bonus videos from my personal life. I've dropped stand-up sets. Like, I have a whole hour I did in Amsterdam. That's available for Patreon subscribers at a certain level. So check it out. And by the way, I've been doing the Patreon for a year and a half. So when you join, that's right, I'm just mind-controlled you. When you join, join you will get access to all of the archives. So you have a whole summer of staying indoors if you have sensitive skin, (laughs) if you don't like the heat, if you're having hot flashes already, whatever. if you're very hairy, whatever your issues are, and you don't like the sun and you live in the hemisphere that is having summer, then maybe you want to stay in. Well, now you have the Patreon to keep you company. And and honest to God, I am not fucking around when I say this. This is how I make a living. And I would love if everyone who, li- if everyone who listens to the podcast for free joined the Patreon, I'd probably make a million dollars a year. Why are you guys preventing me from being a millionaire? Now, a lot of the guys in comedy who've been canceled, who have sexual assault allegations. They all have very successful Patreons with tens of thousands of subscribers. I don't have tens of thousands of subscribers. Do I need to sexually assault someone? I don't think so. But it's looking mighty attractive because I feel like that's the way you get Patreon subscribers. Or you join a militia, you start a militia, you become right wing, you go to some kind of clan rally. Is that what I need to do? Is that the only people who pay for things are fan? The only people who pay for comedy are fans of clan rallies, QAnon, and alleged rapists. I'm, I'm swear to God, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. All right. So what am I going to talk about this week? By the way, I am part of the Misfit Toys Comedy Network, started by Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap of the Never Not Funny podcast. There's a lot of great comedians and great podcasts on the network you can find the link to the misfit toys comedy network in the show notes and now let's get on with this week's episode i'm just going to tell some stories my psychiatrist is retiring not the talk therapist i see the medicine person i'm stressed Coffee is good for you. There's an article about it and everything. I'm going to talk about water and how I always fucking knew 
that we don't need to drink as much water as they say that we actually are being swindled by big business. Because I thought back to as a Gen X kid, I don't think I drank water in the 80s once and I'm fine. I've got great skin too. How, what, why is everyone, why am I lugging around a gallon of water with me as though I'm going to the desert when I'm just getting in my car and going to Pilates class? Why am I lugging water everywhere? Like there's going to be a drought any second. We're going to get into it. We're going to bust that myth of how much water we actually need. And I'm going to teach you guys that we have all been taught to have a f- irrational fear of dehydration. I'm going to talk about uh, going to a party where Lily Tomlin was at a couple weeks ago and how I lied to her face about something. And whatever else, little piddly diddly things come up that I feel like talking about. And of course, we've got some listener emails. So yeah, my psychiatrist is retiring. And it's a tough thing when that happens because I have been with this guy for 20 years. This guy has known me since I first moved to L.A. when I was 27. Someone's doing the math right now. She's 47. Oh, my God. And it's tough because... I was telling my therapist about it. I know it sounds like it takes a team of people to keep me sane. And, uh, you know, I'm not being defensive about it. I see a therapist every week. But as someone who sometimes needs medication for panic disorder, for panic attacks on planes, I do take an antidepressant and ADD medication. Some years I've gone unmedicated. I'm back in a medicated phase. I, uh, you need to have a psychiatrist. They're the only ones who can prescribe. Therapists do not have the power of the pen. They do not prescribe anything that's a different. They studied psychology, psychiatrists uh, study psychology as well as more of a psychopharmacology bent. So I'm telling my therapist about how the psychiatrist is retiring. And she said, well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, even though you probably don't think about it, you formed a bond with him. Like, yeah, I get all the therapy ish explanation i'm afraid i'm never going to see any more clonopin deadly afraid <laughs> that's what i'm talking about and you go jen you must be addicted to clonopin no i am not that's the problem well why is that a problem well i don't want to be addicted to clonopin but the problem is is that i am not the problem is i take it as needed for panic attacks and if some if something i don't know what i don't know what It's like being married for 20 years and then you get divorced and now you have to start dating. But now that you're dating in this new world where you're, you know, in your 40s, the kids, they they use the phones now to date. They, They download pictures of people. You know, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know the world. Someone has to go, well, this is you download this and yep, and you swipe right there and yep, yep. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. Don't put it to deal breaker if, if they live more than five miles away because you know, you'll never find anyone. So I don't know the world of psychiatry anymore. I don't know how much, 
I, I don't know what's going on. If people are against prescribing things or if they're not. You know, I know you go, Jen, you live in Hollywood. You can't get one of those Hollywood doctors. I don't want to get one of those Hollywood doctors. I don't, I'm not in that world though. Whoever, whoever's the Hollywood doctor is that just Dr. Feelgood writes, writes prescriptions. I don't know people that do that. Or if, if I do, they haven't told me. But I'm not in with the, uh, I don't even know what world that is. I mean, I don't really have famous friends. You know, um, maybe a couple here and there, but there's no, uh, whatever world that is, you know, the Michael Jackson world where you get someone eventually moves in with you so they can deliver anesthesia to you every night. <laughs> whatever the, I don't have, I don't have access to that world. And whatever even the less intense, ver- I don't have, I don't want that. See, my thing is an irrational fear is what I'm talking about. That's all I'm talking about. That's why I'm talking about it. If I was really worried that someone wasn't going to prescribe me clonopin because I have a clonopin addiction, you probably wouldn't hear me talk about it on a podcast. Oh, my mother's going, Jennifer Stevie Nicks was addicted to clonopin. The, the problem is, so here's the point. My doctor... You know, he's an older man. It's time to retire. He's been great. I I credit him with my big giant steps taken in combating my fear of flying. I liked his approach to when it's time to medicate, when it isn't. My different periods of it's anxiety. I'm having panic attacks every day versus it's depression. I can't get out of bed, you know, depending on where I was at in life. And he would always say, let's play scientist. From what you're telling me, maybe you should try this antidepressant. Let's let's come back, you know, and then if he did prescribe something new, it wasn't like you just saw him a month later. You, you followed up the next week. Well, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. Takes you through the process. Takes you through the process if you don't want to be on meds. Let's play scientist with that too. It was great. He normalized everything for me. One of my favorite pieces of advice he gave me, I could, I stared at him and said, you went to school for this is, uh, I think he was, I think it was like year 12 of me going. And I think he was just like, I don't know what, enough with the fear of flying. Like, yeah, I get, you know, at, at a certain point, it's like, it's very valid, but at, at a certain point it was no longer a fear of flying. It was not me going, what if it crashes? It was, it was panic attacks on airplanes. The only solution to it was keep practicing, keep flying and keep just working on your panic attacks in life in general. And maybe, just maybe, try to have a goddamn sense of humor about it. You know? If there's a name for it, and you can book an appointment and sit across the desk from a guy in a Hawaiian shirt. He had an office in Hawaii as well. So I, I know I'm making it sound like, you know, one of Trump's doctors or something. But sometimes he would wear a Hawaiian shirt. Maybe if it was like a Friday. You know, listen, it's like a, a boomer that has a, a Hawaii office. But at one point it goes, listen, if you're on a plane and it is crashing, do you ever think you might be able to look out the window and go, huh, well, I've had a good life. And I'm what? I'm 36 years old. That's not, I haven't lived long enough. He goes, eh, who's to say? He just kept doing that until it was like breaking me down until I just had to laugh. And I swear to you, this is not, by the way, what I would recommend for anyone with a fear of flying. I can do this now because I have 20 years of practice with it. But sometimes that thought would pop into my head and it disarms me because it makes me laugh because I just think of when I said to him, and you went to school for this. This is what a 
psychiatry degree gets you is telling someone, if the plane goes down, can't you just say, I've had a good life? And really what he's talking about is acceptance. Why are you thinking that you suddenly have no control once you get into a plane? You have no control anywhere. It's all an illusion. Anytime you think you have control, it's an illusion. So unless you are willing to walk around every second fearing everything, then you don't really need to hold on to this fear of flying. It is not protecting you. You are not doing something unnatural and you are not losing any more control than you have on any given day. And it's impossible to look at it that way when you go, I'm in a thing that is going into the sky that someone else is driving. And he goes, yep, I know it's hard to believe, but it is the same lack of control that you have sitting in your living room right now watching TV. I know it's hard to believe. There is no difference. And it's fucking true. And I'm not saying that adopting that attitude alone can cure your fear of flying. But if you do all the other things, the most important last step is going to be willing to drop that attitude. Or else you're just going to be someone who doesn't really believe in the things they're doing to get comfortable with the fact that we don't have control any time in life. And that is of great comfort to me. Maybe that wouldn't work for someone else. But point is, I loved this doctor. Now, when you see a psychiatrist, they are a 15-minute appointment. You go in, here's, you know, I, yep, I need a refill on my meds. How you doing? Good, bye. He would do one-hour sessions. It cost exactly the same. And seriously, it took me 10 years to realize that he wasn't just running 45 minutes over because he was babbling. I mean, I really just, at one day, he was like, you know, this is like a thing I do, right? Where I try to talk and know you and tell you things about the brain so that this isn't just some medication transaction. So I appreciate it. So see, I'm not saying I had a doctor feel good and now he's gone. It's, it's actually the opposite. I had someone who really understood me, who understands that Xanax I don't like, Valium. You can put all these drugs in front of me, I'll never take them. I've got bottles from my, um, please don't come rob me, from my root canal, codeine, Tylenol with codeine. Um, I've got a Valium from... It's probably expired now two years ago when I went and got a cortisone injection in my back for my arthritis. Like, I just don't, those pills make me feel shitty. But there is something specific. When I'm having a panic attack on a plane, a half a milligram of dissolvable clonopin, which if anyone here is in the know about medication and amounts, half a milligram is literally the, the next dose would be zero. So it's nothing. Um, but it's just enough to help stop a panic attack. It wouldn't be enough for someone who isn't as practiced in all the other things. Someone would have to take maybe two milligrams. Uh, some people take two milligrams a day every day for their anxiety. Um, and they're technically not uh, addicted, you know? So uh, I don't, I get the prescription refilled twice a year. And I have it as needed. And sometimes I only get it refilled because uh, these dissolvables expire pretty quickly. And I just have it. Have it to have. Bring them on planes just in case. Have them on me if I'm stuck in a car. I'm having a panic attack. Maybe I'm on a thing. Someone else is driving. And I have this irrational fear of like, what if one day they stop making this medication and I'm going to have massive panic attacks the rest of my life. And I'll get through them because I have all the tools. 
But what if, what if, what if? That's what people with anxiety do. And I don't actually sit and worry. But the thought will cross through my head. Oh my God, wouldn't that be so scary? You know, you wake up at two in the morning, you're like, when am I going to die? And then the other thought is like, oh my God, you have panic disorder. What if one day, like the medication, the only medication that works for you for it goes out of business and you have massive panic attacks the rest of your life and you're just like on subways and planes and your life gets as bad as it was before you found the cure for this, which is again, doing a million different things. Like I just scare myself. And again, I don't spend more than 30 seconds on it. I allow the thoughts. And then I say, okay, well, thanks for weighing in. It's like a shitty employee. You know what I mean? Or like a board member. B-O-A-R-D. You know, and you go, oh, we're never going to use their ideas, but we can't fire them. Yeah, yeah, what you over there weighing in? Well, I was just thinking, um, what if you, yeah, so you start having really bad panic attacks the rest of your life, and they're like so bad that they almost could kill you, and then there's absolutely no medication that you could take in case of an emergency. Uh, okay, cool, thanks for that idea. Uh, anyone else? And then like the normal person that you like working with goes, or what if you don't even worry about that because there's no point? And yeah, you'll probably have more panic attacks in your life, but you haven't had the really, really bad ones um, in well over a decade and you're you're just in a different place with it. And even if they stopped making any medication, like, I mean, you're, you'd be fine, which, you know, thank you. Now, now that's an idea we go with. Right. So I, I let the crazies in the room weigh in. But I just don't follow them down the trail and go, well, let me put that idea on the board. I just go, uh-huh. And the, 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 the bad idea people, the, the person that just wants to throw anxious thoughts at me, I don't even have to be polite to them. I just go, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to coddle them and go, well, yeah, let's consider that. The anxious thing is just sitting there trying to entertain itself by being anxious. So I don't even, it's not even paying attention to me being nice to it, right? So this is, these are the little tricks I do in my head. But my point is, when you're looking for a psychiatrist, you, you just want to get someone that understands you. And, and my doctor will, of course, be able to send 20 years of my records to the new doctor. And the new doctor will see I am not, I, I couldn't possibly be uh, addicted to anything because I don't have any like I don't, it's something I take 20 times a year of that, you know? And so uh, they will see that. But I just, one of those things where, you know, you get a new psychiatrist, you get a new whatever. And that new whatever, they want to do it their way, right? They want to put their stamp on your story. And they want to, I just know I'm going to get someone who's going to go, so I see that you get like a clonopin prescription every year and that's good. And then, yeah, you don't get too many. And now why do you need that again? Oh, well, I've had panic disorder since I was eight, uh, undiagnosed until 22, uh, was unable to fly really regularly until I was 35 and uh, fly a lot with my job. I also love to travel. And so it took a really long time to get over my panic attacks on planes. And so I like to have it just in case. And I, I already hear that. I am already hearing the car. Have you ever thought about... Um, why you feel you even need it just in case. No, I haven't. I don't plan on evolving past that. Thank you. 
I know you're doing your thing. Hi, I don't know what Dr. Dan did, but I'm Dr. Marsha. And I just, I have to ask these questions, you know. I have to challenge you. You don't, actually. You don't. So I would go through, and I've been reading Yelp reviews of, of people that are uh, available in my insurance, which I do have good insurance, thank God. And anyone that's like, all natural, I'm like, bye, nope. I already do. I already exercise, take vitamins, eat well, pray, meditate. I, I get the whole thing covered. Journal, yep. EFT tapping, meditation, whatever, I'm doing it. Sometimes there needs to be clonopin. And also, you don't want to get involved. Anyone who gets a degree in being able to prescribe medication and then refuses to is an asshole. I don't want any QAnon people. I don't want any doctors who are going to tell me that a vaccine isn't natural. You know, and there are plenty of wax out there. But I found one review and I thought it was intriguing. And I don't know what it says about me that it, it put this doctor at the top of the list. But this one review, this guy wrote, Dr. Joanne, or whatever her name is, is so amazing. And she is definitely not a Nazi. And that was the review. And I was like, what? But the woman had five stars, like from a lot of different people, a couple other reviews that were just normal. But the top and last review was, and she is not a Nazi. And I went, who? Who thinks to write that unless they were talking about it? Does that make sense? I mean, I have a feeling. I don't know, maybe this person went in there and said, uh, you know, it's been a rough year. Uh, what's what's going on with these people that stormed the Capitol wearing Camp Holocaust sweatshirts? You know, my anxiety's through the roof lately. Just, I can't believe it. can't believe we haven't weeded these people out of society. I can't believe we're making new ones. And maybe the, the psychiatrist said something uh, about how she doesn't like that either. And maybe maybe the guy that wrote the review thought, well, that this is a funny thing to put. It's just, you know. Or maybe the guy is super neurotic and he's like, I just have to ask everyone if they're a Nazi and just see how they react. And maybe she reacted by being like, of course not. And he was like, good. But I thought, you know what? You never know. I'm going to let everyone know. Maybe it's dead serious. Maybe they were talking about Yelp reviews and she even said... I don't know. I'm I'm new. I'm new to the neighborhood. I could use a Yelp review. When you know, write anything you want about me, just just tell them I'm not a Nazi. I mean, maybe she made the joke, which that is what intrigues me. This this Nazi joke implies. I think it means the doctor has a sense of humor as well. I don't think this is just about the reviewer. I'm getting a vibe here that this doctor is funny. And while I don't normally gravitate to funny doctors, if you said this doctor's funny, I'm picturing Patch Adams, 
uh, orange nose like a clown. And then you go, Jen, he was helping children who are dying. I guarantee you children who are dying still don't think a guy with a rubber nose is funny. It doesn't mean your taste goes out the window. Your sophistication goes out the window just because you are dying. That's like saying, oh, they're dying. Just give them a fucking, you know, instant coffee. They won't notice. Yet they notice. Anyway. And now I'm thinking, okay, I actually now have to call this doctor and make her my doctor because this now needs to be discussed on the podcast. And I see, I don't know, that's probably not normal. But I think I need, I need one session with her. I mean, I'm going to try different people. If I, if I nail it with the first person and really hit it off with them, then great. But I think she's going to be the first one I try. And I think I'm going to ask her about the not, I don't don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But there's something about, so I was saying, you know, you don't want a doctor that's funny, but if the doctor thinks telling a patient to write, I'm not a Nazi in a Yelp review, that is actually funny. That's a good sense of humor. I got to investigate. I seem fun at gmail.com. Should I go to this psychiatrist because of that review? I know what you're thinking. Maybe there's a fourth option. Maybe the guy was trying to say this doctor is a Nazi. Stay away and was saying it in a weird way. Maybe he is a Nazi and he's glad that she is also one. And he's saying it in a funny way. She's definitely not a Nazi. I think my first theory is correct. That she's very funny. They somehow had a talk. It's a private joke. And it worked. You know, it worked. Get their attention Oh, God, my favorite episode of The Office, the real office, the British one, when Ricky Gervais is (laughs) trying to lead a seminar in customer service at a hotel. Get the attention. Oh, my God, that episode. So I wanted to talk about water. Ah, Before you fast forward, this is fucking boring. I'll make it interesting. Do you like that sound? Are you in a haunted house, Jen? No, that is the arm of my, that is the arm of my, uh, what do you call it? Microphone holder. Microphone arm. If you had my Patreon, you would be able to see me move that arm and you would know where that sound came from. So before I tell you that you don't have to drink as much water as you think, I'm going to tell you that I am thankful for my Patreon subscribers. And I do shout outs to them. And we are about to do it right now. Oh my God, we're going to have some fun with the shout outs. Teresa gets you get me girl thank you Anthony Carpendale wow are you a generous motherfucker thank you Matt Cloder yeah how's your June going baby 
I want you right now. Look at yourself in the mirror, point and wink. I'm Matt Cloder, you say to yourself. Thank you, Matt. Taryn Hurst. Not spelled like Hurst Castle. Don't go rob Tara's house because you think she's worth all that Hurst money. Different spelling. I'm not going to spell it for you. I don't want you stealing her identity either. Taryn Hurst, thank you. I love you. Roseanne Irwin. Did I just, I'm sorry, did I just catch you off guard? I'm so sorry. I should have, I should have, uh, I should have eased into that a little more. Roseanne Irwin. You're awesome. Thanks. Natasha Yurkovic. Your name sounds familiar to me. You know, maybe I'm having a memory of writing it down to shout you out. Or maybe I've already given you a shout out. Natasha, are you a two shout out person? Who knows? You know what? You deserve all the shout outs, Natasha. Thank you. Lori McCoy. You're the real McCoy, Lori McCoy. How many people say that to you? Oh, only older people? Okay, sorry. Lori, I thank you so much. I appreciate you. Sean Wilson. I hope you're having fun. And I thank you so much. Big, big hugs. Big fun and big hugs. Jennifer Moses. Don't worry. I won't make fun of your last name. Do you part your hair down the middle like you did the Red Sea? I couldn't help it! Woo! Jennifer Moses, thank you! I hope you have an amazing rest of your day, night, afternoon, morning, whenever you're listening to this. And those are the shout-outs for the Patreon subscribers. We'll do more next week. You join at any level, even $3 a month, you get a shout-out if you want one. I only do consensual shout-outs on this podcast. So here's the deal with water. What's the deal with water? Now, I'm not a fan of water. I don't like saying that because... I can already hear the comments, first world problems. So some people don't have water. I know. But I'm just saying, I'm not like, oh, water's so delicious. You know, I actually wake up in the morning. And if I'm like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed, my mind goes, coffee, you know, yay. Love the taste of coffee, right? If I go, oh, I don't feel like going to this dinner with a friend tonight. Oh, but there's wine. I love wine. Yay. Get excited for the taste of wine. Water, I go, I have to drink it. I'm thirsty. Ugh. I'll throw some cucumbers in there. Don't worry about it. I know how to flavor it up. I don't like to put like sugary stuff in here. My whole point is, I've thought about this often. It's not an original thought. I've seen other people tweet about this, but people in my generation that went to school in the 70s and 80s and even 90s, but I think, you know, I'm thinking mainly like five to 5 to 18, right? So I was in, I was, uh, it was 70s and 80s for me. Last two years of the 90s, I was in high school. Oh my God, that seems really fucking old. Like that I started high school in 1988. That just doesn't, like really? And I'm not, not in a nursing home yet? That's crazy. Okay, so anyway, uh, 
I was thinking about water and how I never drank water. I mean, I literally think I drank water twice in the 70s. I, there was no water bottles, whether plastic or the kind you, you know, whatever that BP blah, blah, free plastic that you can buy and or glass bottles that you can keep. There, was, there wasn't this like water obsession. You just drank a glass from the tap and we had water bubblers. I called them water fountains, but I I threw in bubbler for everyone else. I feel like that's what everyone else calls them. And I remember, like, I remember feeling thirsty sometimes at school. And so what you would do is in between classes, you would head on over to the water fountain like an animal over a trough and you would push the little button and you would slurp your water. A f- five, six, seven gulps. And you'd go, and you'd wipe your face. And your thirst would be quenched, and you'd move on with your life, unencumbered, carrying nothing. Obviously, maybe your books. Go to gym class. You run around. Get sweaty. Feel thirsty. Maybe you stand in front of that water fountain a good five to ten beats. Slurping it down. Now I don't. I used to take ballet lessons after school. Ninety-minute class. There's no water. Like you took the class, and I, I think there was water. Again, not even a water cooler. I think there was another fountain, or maybe a water cooler, one of those old-school ones. You know, with those little tiny Dixie cups. Maybe I, I don't remember water. Worst case, you just cup your hands and drink out of the sink. You know, cup your hands, fill it with water in the bathroom sink, drink it. Obviously, yes. Yes, I grew up in a town that you could drink out of the tap. You can in New York City, too. It's actually some of the best water in the country. And I'm not saying that because of the whole bagel mythology. The water in New York is is a very good, clean drinking water. Anyway, water was just not... An obsession. And so, I mean, I don't even, at dinner, like, did I drink water at dinner? Maybe. I, I just don't remember. Now everything's water. Do you need water? Do you need water? Everywhere I go, do you need water? Every meeting you go to, do you need, I mean, I kind of get it with the meetings. You're Maybe you're talking and you're parched and you're nervous. I mean, that's not crazy. Uh, but yeah, everything's water, 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 water. And I'm just, it doesn't occur to me to drink water unless I'm thirsty. And even then, I can be one of those people that mistakes hunger for thirst. But I know deep down the difference because I know when I don't actually feel a hunger pang, but I feel like snacking. I know that's my body trying to like put some like salts and, and water into my system. And sometimes I'm a dick and I'm like, I don't want to drink any water because it's not fun enough. I'm going to have, you know, chips and salsa instead. You know, it's like, okay, fine. So I'm thinking about this and I'm like, I literally don't remember drinking water growing up. And I I had one memory and I shared about it, but it, it really wasn't about water. It was just more about the weirdest rules that I remember as a kid. And I had a third grade teacher who used to allow us to 
put things on our desk during class. Now, I know that makes no sense to people, but we used to have those lift-up desks, and you'd put your notebook and pens and paper in there. And if you had a classroom, you know, you're in third grade, that's the classroom you sit in all day, you keep all your stuff in the desk. And then you might, sometimes the teacher would want you to just have nothing on the desk. They just want you to listen. You fold your hands on the desk, no paper, no pen, and you just listen. Sometimes you'd have your paper and pen out and, you know, do whatever number equations or whatever you're doing when you're eight years old. It wasn't like there was note taking really when you're eight. You'd probably be doing an assignment along with the teacher. But for the most part, you know, if your desk was cluttered, I don't, I swear to God, it was like a thing. Like people would, there was weird rules. You couldn't just like put things on your desk. If I had a favorite stuffed animal, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just put it on your desk. I was, I don't, I don't know why. It's just like adults tell you to do or not do things. You go, okay. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just how it was. But this teacher, Miss Ross, used to let us have a plastic cup on our desk, small, like a little juice glass, you know, six ounce. And she'd let us, she'd let us keep it filled with water. And I think it was because she just didn't want people getting up and down, up and down if they wanted to go into the hallway to get a drink of water. Because if you did want to do that, you raise your hand, can I go in the hallway? And it's not like people were dying of thirst either. It was just this weird thing she let us do. But again, it had nothing to do with children need water. It really didn't. It had to do more with letting us have a sense of autonomy with our desks. And I remember loving having my cup of water, not because I liked water or even drank out of it, but because I felt like I was a grown-up at her nine to five job with a coffee. Like I felt there was something grown up about having a cup there. Like I'm obsessed. Like I always have a cup of something in my hand at all times. Usually it's coffee. Then I switch to decaf at a certain time of the day. But there's, there's always like I do have, and especially since I gave up smoking a long time ago, it's like that's replaced my cigarette. It's like there's a coffee in my hand. There's a water in my hand. There's a mocktail in my hand. Um, because I don't drink every day, obviously, but like, you know, or if I'm drinking, then there's a drink in my hand, but if I'm not, it's a mocktail, you know, whatever. So I tweeted about it and the, the answers were so interesting. Like all the Gen X people were like, oh, that's so weird. I don't even think I drank water once until I was 25, you know? And then all the younger people were like, that's amazing. See, fine. she understood that it's important to hydrate and take care of yourself. And, and I was like, I don't think that was the vibe. And then I sat and I thought and I thought when I sat, I thought, is that it? I mean, I think this water thing might be a little bit hyped. Is it really that like I don't want to be one of those people in my day we did this and it was correct. And I don't want to change and I don't want to learn about how, you know, I really wasn't being protected in my day by the priests and, the you know, like I know all that. But there was something about people saying that it was wrong that we weren't carrying water all the time as kids or that water wasn't being handed out willy-nilly, that, that we weren't, you know, my generation was so neglected. And I was like, yeah, not, not on this one, though. You know, this notion that, like, kids must stay hydrated at all times. Well, if it was so bad for us, that was what got me going. Like, I'm not trying to be this my way or the highway in my day, this and that. But really, though, how come we didn't die en masse, you know, like a weird suicide cult of dehydration? How come? Is it 
perhaps because you don't need to be thinking about water constantly? Is it perhaps that when you're thirsty, you have a few gulps and that's what your body needs and then you move on with your life? And then when you're thirsty again, you have a full gulps, a few gulps and then you move on with your life? And I was talking to a friend about this. I have a friend who drinks 90 ounces of water a day. I was like, why? She's like, for your skin, for weight loss, for... You don't need all that. She's like, I work out a lot. I'm like, it's fine. I be, so I have one of those uh, big gallon jugs and a, a Patreon subscriber commented on it because it's like mine has a, you know, like 8 a.m. By 8 a.m. drink this much, 10 a.m. noon. And it's like, good job. Keep going. And I do. Now, here's my excuse why I drink a lot of water. I don't actually drink a lot of water. And I, by the way, that whole notion, everyone goes, oh, your skin's so great. You must drink a lot of water. I go, I don't. And I smoked. I'm telling you, this water thing is a scam. You don't need that much fucking water. And I, I can't back this up, but I think it's true. Well, our body's 80% water. I know, but I think we're getting it from food. Oh, no, no, you need extra. So, disagreeing with a friend of mine. Now, here's the situation with me and water. So, I have noticed times in my life, like I did give myself a kidney infection once because I completely dehydrated myself. I was on tour driving myself on the road city to city, just not really getting any uh, water in my system. Holding my pee, you know, because I didn't want to pee in truck stops. And and I had to cancel this date in, I forget, I think it was Pittsburgh like six years ago. And I've actually been hospitalized once, not hospitalized overnight, but I did spend like most of the night in a hospital once in Montreal at the comedy festival years ago because I was exhausted from the said tour and the antibiotics hit me the wrong way that they gave me for the kidney infection and they did say something like my electrolytes were low and I'm not trying to sound like idiocracy like Brando electrolytes what plants crave but we do have a we have to have an electrolyte balance in our body and and I do know that hydration is important and electrolyte balance is important of course I just wondered when the day happened that I suddenly carry around my home a jug of water as though I'm going to the Sahara Desert and really I'm just going to the living room. And I, well, Jen, I, the reason I got that jug was because I need to drink 64 ounces a day and that helps me measure it. If I just have a glass and I keep refilling it and drinking when I'm thirsty, then I don't know if I've had eight glasses. And then I started thinking, well, why am I trying to drink eight glasses? What if a day goes by that it just doesn't seem like I don't feel like it. You know, I don't like water first thing in the morning. I drink a few cups of coffee. But the the times I do drink water, I know it's important after you've had alcohol that dries you out. I always feel hungover if I don't drink enough water, even if I've had like two drinks. And I'm on two medications that are super dry mouthy. Another reason I became really into drinking water was I learned when I was having vocal cord problems, that drinking water is important, not because like what you're thinking, it slip and slides your throat, but the vocal cords are the last thing to get hydrated in the body. And if there's not enough water left for them, they just don't get hydrated and that's how they get dry. So imagine if you had a row of plants and you watered them every day from left to right using your big jug of water and 
by the time you got to the last one on the right, you always ran out and it just got a little drop. That's your vocal cords. That's what I was told by a doctor. So I started getting kind of obsessed with drinking a lot of water when I had vocal cord issues. So anyway, but I'm, I'm, I really am like, I get it. Water is important. Let's all drink water. But I feel like a fucking stooge carrying this bottle around and, and like leaving the house and feeling naked if I forgot to bring my glass bottle with me. Like, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, and saying all the time how dehydrated I am when I've been to the hospital for dehydration and that is dehydration. There's no casual dehydration. It's just called being thirsty. And when you pee and your water is yellow, it doesn't always mean you're dehydrated. That's the waste coming out. It also could be colored by a food or a vitamin you took. And when your water is clear, they always say your water is clear. That's how you know you're hydrated. Well, that means that your pee is diluted with water. And so you can't see really the color of the waste. It doesn't mean that everything's running clean in your system. It's just these little myths, you know. So I listened to this podcast. I followed this woman on Twitter. She just wrote a great book about menopause. I ordered it. I haven't started reading it yet, but her name is uh, Dr. Jen Gunter. And she did a podcast episode. I just happened to, I didn't even know she had a podcast. I just happened to catch it. And it was all about water. It was a half an hour long. And it blew my mind. So I'm just going to tell you the name of it. You can go listen for yourself. Her podcast is called Body Stuff with Dr. Jen Gunter. And this episode was called How Much Water do you actually need a day? And it said a uh, glowing skin, increased energy, higher mental function and weight loss. These are just a few of the benefits we've been promised for the low cost of eight glasses of water a day. But can this magical elixir really do all that? Jen takes us behind the fascinating and scandalous history of hydration pseudoscience and unpacks the investigative report that rocked the beverage industry and sits down with a nephrologist that's a kidney doctor who tells us what's fact and fiction about our kidneys. It will quench your thirst for the truth about hydration. It's pretty amazing. And basically, you know, I'm sure you can guess where this is going. The notion that we are all improperly hydrated came from basically the people that invented Gatorade. And um, there was a football team and their person that does something with the team like added lemon and a little something, something to the water to help the players. Then it became the sports drink. Then everyone started thinking they had to hydrate like a player. And then there's even this mythology that drinking sports drinks like a Gatorade helps prevent heat stroke in the military. And uh, like none of this is true. And water does come from food. And that gets to count as part of our daily water. She said even coffee, even caffeinated coffee counts as our daily water intake. And if you think about a baby who's breastfeeding, they're not also drinking water. Their body knows to extract the water. Just because we might need 84 ounces a day to function doesn't mean we have to ingest that much. And every day might be different for how much water your body needs, but we instinctively know. And what the beverage industry did was get us conditioned to think that there's such a thing as pre-hydrating. So before you can even get dehydrated and acting like it's a thing that happens every day, if you don't have enough water, oh my God, you're exactly two hours into dehydration. Like if you're um, 
thirst palate is working correctly, you will never be dehydrated. If this doctor said uh, that she interviewed said if you if your thirst palate works correctly, or whatever it's called, your thirst reflex, and if you have access to water within a mile, you you cannot dehydrate. You will just drink a little when you're thirsty. And uh, I fucking thought so. I really did, and I went. I'm been. So so then, of course, you get into the water water industry, bottled water. You know, bottled water might not convince us that we're chronically dehydrated or at risk of it, but that got in our head from the sports beverages that there's such a thing as prehydrating so that you don't get dehydrated when you go do a thing. And now we're like all addicted to carrying around these water bottles. And I know a lot of it is like, well, the water might not be clean in this place or that. I totally get it, but it doesn't still mean that you need to carry around 64 ounce water bottle everywhere you go. Like I was like, what? It's like become an adult pacifier. I'm carrying around pounds of water. Again, to go from one room to the other. To go out of the house for one hour to run some errands. Well, I might need water in the car. Well, I, and to, to think that I need so much water every day that I have to be drinking a certain amount every hour. My life was, I was getting weighed down by this. My life was becoming un, unenjoyable. I was like, how much water do I have to drink? This is a nightmare. So I'm going 70s. I'm going fill a glass with water like a fucking adult. You've got cute glassware, Jen. Drink it until you don't feel thirsty. And move on with your life. And yes, you are on some medication that is a little bit uh, dry mouthy and maybe a little hard on the kidneys. So you maybe drink an extra glass. But again, there is no need to carry around an adult binky, which is a thing of water. Relax. If you're going somewhere for the day, of course, bring your water thing. Have some water with you, sure. Throw throw a little water bottle, glass one in your purse if you're going to Pilates class. You know, maybe you'll have a tickle in your throat and need a sip, but but just don't even think about it. And then come home and just pour yourself a glass of water like a person. I don't know. I found it fascinating that just there was this one moment where like I actually thought our parents didn't raise us right because we weren't obsessed with water. And I knew, no, no. Nope. We become addicted to the dumbest things. Like not addicted to water, but addicted to the worry that we're dehydrating constantly. <laughs> and and the pseudoscience of I'm flushing this and I'm flushing that out. Ish sort of. Of course, I always, you know, it's hard for me to believe. I go, she's wrong. I feel very dehydrated when I drink coffee. It's like, well, wait a minute. Are you dehydrated or are you just thirsty? Because you've been awake for four hours and you had four cups of coffee and it's time to drink a little water because you had a little too much coffee. Nobody here is dehydrated. The coffee didn't do it. You do need to drink water. You just haven't yet. You know, it's like, ah, it's so hard to put my brain in that space. It's like, right, 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 right. Because I don't want to be told what to think by big water. Anyway, that being said, coffee's good for you guys. Yes, it is. Yeah, I can have coffee. I have it. Oh, shut up. We're not talking to you then. 
Um, this is from the failing New York Times. Uh, Personal Health by Jane E. Brody. The, the health benefits of coffee. Drinking coffee has been linked to a reduced risk of all kinds of ailments, including Parkinson's disease, melanoma, prostate cancer, even suicide. Now, again, please go get mental health help if you are suicidal. She says, even during the pandemic, she was a every neighborhood shop that sold takeout coffee still managed to stay open. So many people ventured forth to go to their favorite coffee shop and take it home. One elderly friend who had used to travel from Brooklyn to Manhattan by subway to buy her preferred blend of ground coffee arranged to have it delivered. She said it was worth the cost. All of us should be happy to know that whatever it took to secure our favorite cup of Joe may actually have helped keep us healthy. The latest assessments of the health effects of coffee and caffeine its main active ingredient are reassuring indeed. Their, cons- their consumption has been linked to a reduced risk of all kinds of ailments, including Parkinson's, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, gallstones, depression. I can vouch for the depression part. It really does. Like, it makes my day. Uh, so, uh, suicide cirrhosis, liver cancer, melanoma, and prostate cancer. In fact, in numerous studies conducted throughout the world, consuming four or five Eight ounce cups of coffee a day has been associated with reduced death rates. And that is caffeine coffee, they say. Four or five cups. It used to be one cup is fine. And I mean, this is a lot of coffee. I don't even drink that much. Eight ounce cups. Of- oh, my God. In a study of more than 200,000 participants followed up for 30 years, those who drank three to five cups of coffee a day with or without caffeine. There you go, decafers. I'm a, I'm a half decaf, half myself, uh, were 15% less likely to die from all the causes than people who shunned coffee. Perhaps was a dramatic 50% reduction in the risk of suicide among, among both men and women who are moderate coffee drinkers. As a report published last summer by a research team at the Harvard School of Public Health concluded, although current evidence may not warrant recommending coffee or caffeine to prevent disease, It's just that most people drinking coffee in moderation can be part of a healthy lifestyle. There's always been sporadic warnings that coffee could be a health hazard. Over the years, it's been deemed a cause of things like heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, anxiety disorder, nutrient deficiencies, gastric reflux, migraine, insomnia, and premature death. As recently as 1991, the World Health Organization listed coffee as a possible carcinogen. In some of the now discredited studies, smoking, not coughing, I mean, not coughing, not coffee drinking, the two often went hand in hand, was the reason for the hazard. Yeah, you dumb fucks. These periodic scares have given the public a very distorted view, said Walter C. Willett, professor of nutrition and epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Overall, despite various concerns that have cropped up over the years, coffee is remarkably safe and has a number of important potential benefits. I mean, it grows in the ground, people. I love that argument. Like, oh, then let's eat everything that grows in the ground. Uh, Do not drink while pregnant. It can increase the risk of miscarriage, low birth weight, premature birth. But, um, okay, so don't, don't drink coffee if you're pregnant, folks. Sorry. Sorry. The most common ill effect is, of course, sleep disturbance. Caffeine locks into the same receptor in the brain as adenosine, a natural sedative. 
Um, so it must lock into it and like kind of remove it. So, uh, so lots of people with sleep problems. They don't do so well with coffee. I don't have that. But uh, a person sensitive to caffeine probably increases with age. But again, you can drink decaf. Among the other things in coffee that are beneficial besides caffeine are polyphenols and antioxidants. Polyphenols can inhibit the growth of cancer cells and lower the risk of type 2 diabetes. Antioxidants have anti-inflammatory effects. They can counter both heart disease and cancer. Now, when brewed without a paper filter, as in a French press, Norwegian boiled coffee, espresso, or Turkish coffee, oily chemicals called ditterpens come through that can raise artery-damaging LDL cholesterol. However, these chemicals are virtually absent in both filtered and instant coffee. Ah, I drink filtered coffee. No big deal. <laughs> Obviously, the health benefits start to lessen if you're putting a lot of cream and sweet syrups, blah, 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 turns it into a junk food. We fucking know. Cold brew can also be made with decaffeinated. I hate cold brew. And uh, decaf has anti-inflammatory properties in those polyphenols. So there you go. Coffee isn't dehydrating and it is good for you. I'm never gonna leave you coffee in my life forever. All right, I told you I had a Lily Tomlin story. It's not really that great. But uh, I went to a party at a friend's house, Stephanie Miller. Shout out to Stephanie. And uh, I'm often on her uh radio program the stephanie miller show and she had a little get together of like ladies in comedy and lily tomlin was there and i was pulling up who ah sorry i was pulling up to stephanie's house and she lives on a the street is very small two cars really can't easily pass each other on the small small street and i was doing uh kind of a u-turn in other words i was um doing a U-turn at the end of the street and coming back down it and there was a car coming towards me and we were going really slow because we had to pass each other carefully and Lily looked me in the eye and I looked her in the eye. She doesn't know me, but I knew it was her. And I was taking a parking spot. Now, she couldn't have made it. I was clearly there first for that particular parking spot and there was another one a little, like two feet up in front of me. So it wasn't like I was taking her spot. But I didn't wave and I parked and it took me a minute to park. Because again, it's a small area. And she, by the time I had finished parking, had turned around and had driven a few feet past my car and she parked a few feet up ahead of me. But she wasn't getting out of her car right away. And I don't know what is wrong with me, but instead of walking out of my car like a normal person and uh, I don't think I would have stood outside of her car and waited for her because let's like... You know, again, I don't know her, you know, and there's a world where I saw her but didn't know it was her and I wouldn't just go stand outside of someone's car on the street and go, are you going to that party right here? You know, so I mean, it's not crazy, but I kind of rushed in is the point. Like I didn't slowly get out of my car. Do I have everything? Okay. And then just like walk across the lawn to the front door. Like I didn't do that. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to walk in at the same time as her. Now, I don't know why. I literally have no answer. 
I met her before for five minutes at another party. I, 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 I just didn't want to bother her or be annoyed. I, I seriously don't know. So I just kind of ran in. Like I didn't run in, but I went in fast. But again, she wasn't out of her car yet, so it wasn't that weird. And then she came inside like a good five minutes later and uh, like an hour into the party, she goes, did I see you driving up here? Did we look at each other in the car? And for no reason, I go, no. Like, what, what am I, gaslighting Lily Tom? Why am I lying to her? And she goes, well, I looked at you and I go, oh, I, I uh, without my glasses on, I can't see anything. I mean, I, yeah, I know I drove by a car and I saw a person. You were, I think you were going the other way. Um, yeah. I, oh, I didn't know that was you. I mean, I don't know if I saw, and she was like, but then I turned around and parked. I don't know what she was asking exactly, but I was like, oh yeah, I guess we looked at each other, but I didn't, I really don't know what she was asking. And I was in a panic and I was like, why am I lying? Why didn't I just say, oh yeah, I did see you. Did I do something wrong? And she could be like, no, no, I was just, you look familiar. I think I just saw you outside. And I could have been like, I got to be honest. I, I didn't want to annoy you. I'm a big fan. I don't want to walk in with you and like make you uncomfortable. Like whatever. I just could have been normal, but I just, I gaslit the woman. She's 82 years old. I'm like, you didn't see anybody lady. It's not that greatest. I'm just telling you. It's just been bothering me. It's just been bothering me. I tried to act like she I tried to act like she didn't see something that she saw. And I didn't wait for at the end of the day I did also second part is I guess I another way to look at it is I didn't wait for an elderly woman getting out of her car. But it's not like she's feeble. I mean, she's on a fucking TV show film, filming 12 hours a day. But you know, it's nice to but I didn't know, you know, like a stand outside her car and go, I reckon she had like a bucket hat on and sunglasses. It's like, but I knew it was her. But I'm going to go outside and wait outside her car and go, hey, you're Lily Tomlin, right? I, I know we're going to the same party because my friend who's having the party told me you were coming because she knew I'd be excited. Um, anyway, I'm just waiting outside your car for you because that's what people do, right? Yeah, no, don't. It's not weird. I mean, I, I don't know. I think there's somewhere in between running in and waiting outside the car like a freak. And there's definitely something called not lying when someone says, did we drive past each other and look at each other and me go, no? I mean, what kind of shit is that? That's the shit I hate about the Trump administration. Go, That was not a riot. That was a just some protesters. That was a tour of the White House. And I'm like, they bashed a cop in with a flagpole. Well, I don't know what you saw, but that was a tour, just an everyday tour. And I'm like, that's what I was doing to Lily. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person. And you heard it here first. How long have I been recording? I keep saying I'm going to read some listener emails. Let me just read a couple to you, and then we'll get the fuck out of here. Jen, you spoke last week of exact change cash. Five or so years ago, I got my debit card skimmed three times in a single year. From that point, I went strictly to cash other than the bills that I pay online. And here's what's good about this, as you so eloquently elaborated upon. Even many more years back, I stole a giant glass Budweiser bottle from someone who I've since completely forgotten about, as I'm sure he me. And with all of the loose change that I gather from using cash on a regular basis for groceries and all, I take that sucker to the bank about once a year. And when it's full, I walk home with an extra 200 plus dollars in my pocket. It's just like free cash. Now, if that isn't a good selling point for using cash, 
I can't think what else is. I quit going to strip clubs 33 years ago. Jeff. Well, congrats, Jeff. Um, yeah, cash is great. Jen, you can say my name, longtime fan, and my friends are apparently very aware of it. This is why when one of my friends was doing a late night deep dive on that old cartoon show, Phineas and Ferb, they sent me a screenshot that showed you were once a writer on it. And I had to respond with that. I had no idea you had ever written for any cartoon. I found it immediately interesting as I've always loved hearing you talk about writing for television. It really is a fascinating topic for someone who doesn't know anything about it. And I was wondering how different writing for a cartoon was versus the other writing jobs you've had. I imagine that writing for something like that versus a show like Mrs. Maisel are wildly different experiences, but what do I know? Thanks for all the laughs and all the best, Delaney. Um, Yeah, so it's going to be a boring answer, but since you said you would find it fascinating, um, obviously every writing job is different. Um, So if you worked at a bank as a teller, every teller job is different, even though you ultimately probably have a lot of the same tasks but you are ultimately doing the job of making change counting change blah 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 i'm ultimately doing the job of pitching creative ideas now i only i'm not being modest i did not write an episode of phineas and fur but that is my name and it is because i was part of it And again, a lot of what you see on TV in the credits has to do with union rules. And so if somebody comes up with the concept for an episode, they get credited as the writer, even though they didn't write one word of the script. Does that make sense? It's all just union stuff. So people often think I write these elaborate cartoon scripts and every time I've done some kind of interview... Someone will say, now you used to write for a cartoon. Now, what made you get into that? I bet you when you were little, you loved cartoons and you just wrote a script. And I was like, please stop. None of that happened. I'll tell you the story. (laughs) Basically, I was just doing stand-up. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I moved to LA and I'm doing stand-up for free, doing my little shows at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and every little place that I'll have me. And I'm probably about, uh, I don't know, Eight, seven, eight years into comedy. Maybe it's 2003, four, five. I don't know the year. And, uh, you know, executives and showrunners and head writers and producers and casting directors, all kinds of people go see comedy in L.A. and go see shows that like young people are on. And I was young then. And this woman, I forget her name. She worked in at Disney. I think it was on Disney at one point. She worked at Disney or something. ABC, I don't know, literally can't remember. And uh, she was just a fan of mine. She wasn't even like looking for anything, but she would come and see shows a lot. And so I didn't know this woman that somehow worked um, something like hiring writers for something. Had seen me a lot, I had no idea. And uh, I seriously don't remember how she got in touch with me. Maybe she came up to me backstage But I think at some point, the Phineas and Ferb writers, which are two guys, said we need a woman in the room because we have a female character. I mean, this is back in those days when it was like, oh, guys do everything. Oh, but we need a woman for the woman character. You know, that kind of bullshit. And she said, I I have this great uh, comedian that I love going to see. And I love the way her mind works. 
You know, I think she would probably come up with some creative ideas. They just needed someone to come in and pitch some storylines for the girl character. And so somehow she found me. And, and again, I don't know why she thought my mind would be good for this. But it was uh, based on a recent bit I was working on. I think it's on my album, Self Help. I was talking about zombies versus ghosts and how I think zombies are way scarier and ghosts are kind of pathetic because they like hang around in houses when they're not wanted and they're very passive aggressive and they're like, I used to live here actually. And zombies will just shove their hand out of the front lawn and just grab you. You know, it's like something like that. And she just thought that seemed like the kind of mind that would be good with cartoons. She was wrong. It was the kind of mind that weirdly had that bit. And that's all I had to say about anything in that realm. But I mean, that's how random it is. That's how stand up can get you all kinds of jobs that aren't related to stand up. And so she said, do you want to go in and pitch these guys? You get paid for the day. I'm like, great. So I go in and the uh, the other unusual and awkward, not unusual, but the other awkward thing that happens <clears throat> in this business when somebody thinks they need to hire a woman for a woman's point of view as though there is a universal woman's point of view. The only thing we all pretty much have a universal point of view on is how much it sucks to be othered and experience sexism. Other than that, I'm nothing like any of the women I know. They're nothing like me. They're nothing like each other. Like we're all different because we're humans. Women are literally humans. If you want to buy merchandise that says that in a really cool, groovy 70s design, mug, sticker, tank top, go to my link in the show notes. It is one of the things I sell in my merchandise store. And in June, all of my profits go to the Greater Boston Food Bank. So anyway, I get there and I'm like, well, how about an episode where she gets braces? And they're like, oh, that's good. And then I was like, oh, and then the next week, she can something, something. And they were like, no, well, I mean, it's a cartoon. So we don't have to have like a through line. And I was like, oh, and then they're like, you know what? I think the braces thing isn't going to work. I forget what they said. It was either like it wouldn't work because even though in cartoons, you don't have to have consistency. It would be weird if the next episode, she suddenly didn't have braces, but they didn't want the character to have braces in every episode because for some reason it would be sad, something, something probably sexist. Not that these guys are sexist, but like men back then, like just, they just didn't have a lot of experience like working with women. And so they had weird ideas about what might make an audience member sad or not. I don't know. I was like, look, Marsha Brady could have braces and so can this fucking chick. And uh, I think I kicked around a few other ideas. I don't remember any of it. I mean, I don't remember much of my life, <laughs> but I know that that happened. And uh, I think they said, if you ever have an idea for an episode, you would get paid. I mean, we're not talking a lot of money here. 500 bucks. I don't know. We pay you for the episode idea and... Um, something something so I said what if uh, they wanted it really like something active you know it's going to be in the backyard and I came up with this idea of what if they tried to put an aquarium in their backyard and they got they brought all the animals into their pool or something like that they built something and I can't remember if it actually like there was something else like I actually turned out not to be good at writing for cartoons because as things go Delaney, and I think maybe this part you'll find fascinating is the creative process is a process, but mostly when you're writing for television, 
you've got to keep a practical eye on things as well. So you don't want to write something in a live action show that would be hard for the set. Oh, oh, how about they go on a roller coaster? Well, they can't because we don't have the money for that set. Oh, fuck. Like your creativity is limited. And so, like, oh, what if they build um, a, an aquarium in their backyard? And then it's like, but Jen, this is a show for children and children ask a lot of questions. And then they'll say to their parents, are the animals okay? And then we'll get letters. Like it was so many. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think that way because I don't have kids. And they're just like worried about all these things. And so I actually don't remember if the episode did end up having that in it or not. Because bottom line, what happened is, is I wrote a pitch. I wrote like what the beginning, middle and end would be. And you kind of write it out like just as a one sheet, like they call it, like just one page, couple paragraphs. And then I gave it to them and they wrote it. Like these guys wrote all the scripts. Nobody else did. But I got my name in it. But I was never a writer for a cartoon, like going to the office. There was like two days of my life. I um, probably wanted it to be more because I was broke as fuck back then. And I was, uh, I think, waitressing or something. But yeah, I mean, that's what it is. But it looks like I've had this illustrious career as a cartoon writer. And oh, look at all you've done. And how'd you get into that? And it's like, it's like the same. It's like such a thing that happens to comedians. It's just like, let's pick your brain. Come on down for the day and you do it. And then your name ends up somewhere. And then this whole thing is is uh, like she wrote for cartoons and it's like, I actually didn't. So there you go. That's that story. Um, that show was like, yeah, I just I didn't have the mind for it. You know, I was like, I don't get why that's sad, but OK, um, that's going to be my memoir. I don't get why that's sad, but that's OK. So let's end on this. Jen, as we shift to post-pandemic life, I was thrilled with the aspect that shaking hands might be going into the dumpster. Lo and behold, we still have people reaching for your hands upon meeting. What the hell is wrong with these people? I know COVID is more of an airborne pathogen, but can we not all agree that touching hands is disgusting? Why are we still doing this? Now I'm in this weird social situation where I can either shake a hand and feel grossed out or potentially make someone feel bad because this weird ingrained societal norm has been rebuffed. Do you have any tips on how to deal with this situation? I'm trying to be a little empathetic and assume the other person is just falling back on habits, but I honestly just want to say I don't shake hands. I'm getting anxious in situations where I know I'm going to potentially meet new people. Well, I don't have I don't have your name here. I don't have a good solution because pre-COVID I didn't want to shake hands because again, uh, as someone on the road, I would do those meet and greets after the show and uh, sometimes 100 people would be there. We'd take a selfie, I sign a book, and people would want to shake hands. Now imagine shaking a hundred hands and you're someone like me who's touching your face, touching your mouth constantly, and your hands have a hundred people's germs on it in cold and flu season. You're on the road. If you get sick, you lose your voice, you can't tour. I say this every week, right? So I had a no shaking hands policy and it never went well. People, oh, they would, oh, Hollywood, oh, germ phobe. I would get called a germ phobe, a snob. I'm like, I will literally like hump you. I will hug you. I will touch butts with you. Uh, clothed, of course. But I cannot put your hand to mine. Why would you want to touch my hand? You don't know where it's been. I'm a comedian. You don't know what I've been doing. We're disgusting people. We're, 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 I mean, not, not me, but like, you know what I mean? Like, you want to touch the hand of some guy comic that who knows what he's been touching before he comes out for the meet and greet? Like, get out of here. So it never went well for me. You have to, you're going to have to deal with being called a germ phobe or people saying COVID's not spread through that. You're just going to have to deal with it. 
but you have to become the I don't shake hands guy. And you might want to have a quick two-line thing written. You might just say, pre-COVID, I never shook hands. I get a lot of colds. And since I stopped shaking hands, I stopped getting colds. Like just some fun fact. Make it seem like they're the weird, like, oh, do you not know that? Like, yeah, you probably should stop doing that too. Like it's a weird, you know, in Japan, they just make up something. Oh, in Germany, they wink, you know, just act like they're not cultured or something. Just put it on them because you're going to get told you're a germ phobe and someone's going to try to argue about COVID. And I get called a snob, you know, I'm like, I'm staying after the fucking show to talk to you ugly people. <laughs> you think just because I'm not shaking your hands that I'm a snob, I'm a snob because I hate this part. I'm kidding. I'm just being silly. But no, uh, no shaking hands ever. It is stupid. And I truly don't see how it's considered uh, polite. I don't see how it's considered. Um, I don't fucking know. When I was on Jimmy Pardo's podcast uh, two episodes ago, two weeks ago, and uh, he does like a trivia question portion of the show and shaking hands was a ritual that was once done so you could see if the person you were meeting was armed, like if they had like a little sword strapped under their sleeve. So we don't need to do that anymore because people are wearing machine guns around their bodies like yoga bags, like yoga mats in a bag. So I can tell if you're armed. I see it. So no need to shake hands. Let that ritual go. And until next week, have fun. (laughs) 